Good day, and welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, the workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messer, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And today's program is a collaborative effort between the Mesothelioma um, Applied Research Foundation and Cancer Care. And um, our topic today is Mesothelioma Innovative Treatment Options. And today's program is supported by Bristol Myers Squibb, and I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. Um, now, um, we have on today's workshop over 150 participants, and you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we have a number of international participants on today's program from Australia, Canada, Lithuania, Nicaragua, Poland, Spain, and the United Kingdom. So this is a global call as well, and we're delighted to have all of you on this program today. And um, and so now it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Richard Grala. Dr. Grala is Professor of Medicine, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Jacoby Medical Center. And Dr. Grala will be addressing an overview of mesothelioma in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, innovative multimodality treatment options, including surgery, chemotherapy, immunotherapy, targeted treatments, and radiation the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine, and appointments, including discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Grala. Well, hello, and thank you, Carolyn. I'm uh, Dr. Richard Grala. I'm a thoracic medical oncologist at the Albert Einstein Cancer Center in New York. I have the pleasure of introducing this program, which will discuss many aspects of mesothelioma. We still have the issues of COVID-19 as this program is being presented in June of 2022, and I'll make a few comments emphasizing caution and some options during this difficult time of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are fortunate to have a most knowledgeable and helpful panel on the call today. I'm particularly pleased to participate. We have a very full program. My colleagues will cover the most common modes of treatment of mesothelioma, with Dr. Taylor Ripley addressing surgery. Dr. Hetty Kindler will discuss systemic approaches, including chemo chemotherapy and immune oncology. Ms. Sinclair will update us about the programs of the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation. And finally, we'll hear again from Dr. Messner, who will inform us about the many services of cancer care. I'm really looking forward to their presentations. So let's get started. What is mesothelioma? Malignant mesothelioma is a cancer of the covering or lining of several different organs, most often the pleura, which covers the lung and inside the chest cavity. It can also occur in the peritoneum, which is the lining tissue of the abdomen, or of the covering of the heart, the pericardium, and there are some even rarer forms. But about 90% of mesothelioma is plural, especially in the U.S. and Europe, and so that's why we'll concentrate on plural mesothelioma. But 
most of the discussion will be relevant to peritoneal mesothelioma and some others as well. While it is a cancer of the pleura or the covering of the lung and lining tissue of the lung cavity, it's not lung cancer. Why not? Lung cancer is also called bronchogenic carcinoma, which means it starts within the lining or bronchial tubes, uh, within the lung or bronchial tubes, rather than mesothelioma, which starts in the pleura or covering of the lung, not within the lung itself. And it looks different under the microscope, but it can be difficult to diagnose even microscopically. Nonetheless, experienced pathologists do special studies on biopsy tissues that are often very helpful in telling typical lung cancer, often adenocarcinoma, from mesothelioma. <clears throat> now, I think it's very reasonable to bring up the fact that we're discussing mesothelioma during this very strange time of the COVID pandemic. These are still not normal times. All of us are aware of the greater or lesser presence of COVID-19, depending on our specific location and community. But let's remember that most cancers constitute an additional risk factor with COVID-19. I can't overemphasize the crucial importance of vaccination with the life-saving vaccines now available, including booster vaccines for people with cancer and for those close to these individuals. All of us should have home test kits on hand. These are available free of charge in the U.S. at www.covidtests.gov and at most pharmacies, and should be uh, aware that at the first sign for high-risk groups, please notify your doctor, and such additional treatments as Paxlovid pills at home might be indicated. Additionally, consider accessing the cancer care programs dealing specifically with COVID and cancer, which are quite available online in the Cancer Care Archives. Related and new is the way that all oncology, visit, all oncology units have gone to remarkable lengths to emphasize safety for your visits. So communicate closely regarding visits or televisits, treatment and testing. Your team has your best interests firmly in mind. Televisits remain a good idea for many individuals with cancer for some of their visits. All oncology facilities have become increasingly skilled with televisits. If you're doing a televisit, you need to have your questions well thought out beforehand and write them down so that you'll be sure to bring them up because it's a different way of communicating with your healthcare team uh, than you might have done before. Know your medications and um, it can really be a good experience. Most televisits are uh, done uh, electronically using uh, various uh, uh, visual modes, but in fact, really, uh, sometimes telephone calls can uh, be a televisit of, of sorts as well, uh, um, as such. Now, back more specifically to mesothelioma. It is much less common than lung cancer, only about 2% or so, a few thousand cases per year in the U.S., but on the rise in many countries. Men are about four times more likely to have mesothelioma, especially pleural mesothelioma, than women, and it is somewhat age-related, much more common in people in their 60s than those in their 30s or 40s, with an average age of diagnosis of people in their upper 60s or lower 70s. There are two surfaces to the pleura. You may hear the terms 
visceral pleura, the covering of the lung itself, or parietal, parietal pleura, lining of the inside of the chest cavity. The pleura is very pain-sensitive. We've all heard of pleurisy. So presenting symptoms of mesothelioma often include pain in about 70 to 90% of people because damage to the pleura can make it more difficult for the lung to function normally, and so we get shortness of breath. The shortness of breath is often caused because of effusions, that is fluid developing the chest cavity, or what we call adhesions or scarring, limiting the ability of the lung to expand fully. Fatigue is seen commonly with many malignancies, including mesothelioma, and it might be related both to pain and shortness of breath as well. Less common with mesothelioma are cough, but one can also have a decreased appetite. Symptoms differ among individuals. I can't overemphasize the importance of communicating clearly with your doctors and nurses about what's bothering you. This surely applies when we're discussing mesothelioma, but it's true for all cancers. Communication and getting your questions addressed is not a complaint or imposition. It's what we as healthcare professionals all wish to do for our patients. A diagnosis of mesothelioma is generally suspected after a chest X-ray or CT scan reveals the pattern of pleural involvement, which is typical. The more common condition of lung cancer is often first suspected, or a metastatic cancer, that is a cancer coming from elsewhere going to the lung or pleura. Pleura fluid is often taken, but the fluid itself may not give a definitive diagnosis of mesothelioma. The actual biopsy of tissue, while sometimes difficult to interpret, usually leads to the confirmed diagnosis. Pathologists have special studies, especially immunohistochemistry, in addition to the microscopic examination that can greatly aid in confidence in making the diagnosis. There are several main subtypes of malignant mesothelioma. Two of these types, epithelioid and biphasic mesothelioma, make up about 75 to 90 percent of mesotheliomas, and Dr. Kindler will enlarge on these aspects and their influence on treatment. Asbestos is the most common cause. Asbestos fibers can penetrate deeply in the lung so they can cause a chronic inflammatory reaction extending to the pleura. Asbestos fibers have been shown to alter the function of protective cells, and then the fibers can create conditions which make it easier to develop this cancer. Asbestosis may also have Asbestos may also have other immune-suppressive properties, which make it harder for the body to fight cancer. You might be aware that there are other asbestos-related diseases, such as asbestosis, and lung cancer can be related. Remember, mesothelioma is similar to but distinct from lung cancer. So these are some facts concerning the location of mesothelioma, its cause, its symptoms, and its diagnosis. The next speakers will address key topics in treating mesothelioma. I think you'll find the newer treatment approaches to be very interesting, hopeful, and helpful. I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Carolyn? Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Grell. That was really just a wonderful um, and stellar um, overview of the program, setting the stage for today's program. Um, and uh, really identifying the major areas that we're going to be addressing today. So thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Robert Taylor Ripley. And Dr. Ripley is Director, 
Mesothelioma Treatment Center, Baylor St. Luke's Medical Center, Associate Professor of Surgery, Division of General Thoracic Surgery, Baylor College of Medicine, member Baylor College of Medicine, Dan L. Duncan Comprehensive Cancer Center. And Dr. Ripley will be addressing the role of surgery and radiation in the treatment of mesothelioma, communicating with the healthcare team about quality of life and lifestyle concerns, and the role of clinical trials, how research increases treatment options for mesothelioma. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Ripley. All right, thank you for the wonderful introduction. Today, as just mentioned, I'm going to talk about surgery, uh, surgery in relationship to radiotherapy, managing symptoms, and clinical trials. So I'll go through each topic rather quickly so that we have time to address each. For some patients with mesothelioma, and specifically in the chest, meaning pleural mesothelioma, surgery is a treatment option. Also, some patients do have mesothelioma in the abdomen, which is called peritoneal mesothelioma. That, too, can occasionally be resected and is often treated simultaneously with chemotherapy in the abdomen. But today I'm going to focus mainly on surgery of the chest cavity or the pleura. So for some patients who have disease that's in one chest, removal of all the mesothelioma can be associated with long-term survival. Now, surgery is always performed in the context of other, other therapies, and historically that's been chemotherapy. Um, but we do have several patients who undergo chemotherapy and surgery and do live a long time after undergoing these treatments. Before a patient can undergo an operation for the removal of this disease, we do a relatively extensive evaluation of the patient to ask basically two questions. Is the patient strong enough for that operation, which basically means how strong are your heart and lungs? And two, is the disease in a location or is it a stage at which it can be removed? And so while there's a lot of tests for each of those, they essentially ask those two questions. As far as working up a patient to see if they're strong enough, we look at their lungs by ordering pulmonary function tests, which is a tube that we breathe in in order to measure how much air can you move in and out of your lungs and how well does that air transmit oxygen from the air into your blood system. And then the other one is we look at a test called a perfusion scan to see how much function is on that side. Is it all limited to one or is it split 50-50 or somewhere between? Next, we look at the heart. Mostly that entails an ultrasound of the heart to make sure it's beating strong and ejecting all the blood that it's supposed to. If there's any problems with the heart or any history of high blood pressure or diabetes, we often send the patient to a cardiologist just to double check for us. And once that evaluation is done, we perform what's called the staging procedures, which is a combination of biopsies so that we know what the disease is and specifically what type. Is it, there's two types, one's called epithelioid, one's called sarcomatoid, and the one in the middle is biphasic or mixed. The biopsies, whether or not it's spread outside of the disease to areas called lymph nodes. Lymph nodes are like little pool filters that pick up infections or or carcinogens in the environment and clear them, those little lymph nodes also pick up tumor cells, and we know if those have tumor in it, the uh, mesothelioma has spread from the chest at least to that little area. And then lastly, we get scans. One's a CT scan that looks at the anatomy of the body, and the next is a PET scan, which is essentially takes up sugar. Sugar is injected in the vein, and then a scan 
is obtained that shows any cells that are growing or dividing. And tumors grow and divide, but so do other tissues. The heart uses sugar, the brain uses sugar, a healing wound uses sugar, an infection does. And so it doesn't tell us all, all the information we need, but it helps suggest how extensive the disease is. And so we take all of these different studies and put them together and then make the best treatment decision. And our treatment decision is not whether a patient should have surgery, it's what is the appropriate treatment, one of which is surgery. So let's talk about the patients who can go for the surgery. There are two main types of surgery that are performed to remove all of the disease. One is called an extrapleural pneumonectomy, and the other one is called a pleurectomy and decortication, or often referred to as an extended pleurectomy and decortication. The extrapleural pneumonectomy removes the lung in addition to the lining of the chest wall. The pleurectomy and decortication removes the lining of the chest wall, called the parietal pleura, as Dr. Grawl mentioned, as well as the visceral pleura, or the pleura along the lung, but leaves the lung intact. Over the last decade, most of the surgeons who perform surgery for mesothelioma have shifted more to pleurectomy and decortication because what we know is it is likely as effective as removing all the disease, but it has the benefit of saving the lung, which is a relatively obvious benefit that patients with two lungs usually do better than those with one. However, if the disease is a certain extent meaning into the lung, that's not always the case, so we still do have to remove the lung on occasion, although it has become much less common. In addition to removing the lining, we often remove the diaphragm, which separates the abdomen from the chest, as well as the sac around the heart, and then we rebuild those so that the patient's chest in the, keeps the abdomen down and the chest with enough space so the lung can expand well. So next is, how does radiation fit into surgery? In 2016, a study came out called the IMPRINT study. And those patients received radiation to the chest wall after surgery in which the lung was left in place, or a pleurectomy and decortication. This was a significant advancement in the field because previously patients had often received radiotherapy, but with older techniques, um, that radiation would destroy the lungs and the patients wouldn't be able to survive it. So the lung had to be removed to get radiotherapy. Now, with advancement of the techniques, they, patients can receive radiotherapy while the lung is still in place. And we learned from that study in 2016 that this is safe and it can be done. And currently, we're undertaking a uh, randomized clinical trial, which means patients either receive radiotherapy or not after surgery to determine whether it helps. We know that patients can get it. We suspect it helps but we've actually never proven it does. And so that's the topic of a current clinical trial that's being run out of Memorial Sloan Kettering and several other centers, including ours currently. So next is we're gonna talk about the quality of life or symptom management. Unfortunately, mesothelioma can lead to shortness of breath and when it grows to the pleura, and specifically if it affects the nerves in the chest wall, it can lead to pain. For most patients, we can control the pain with medications, exercise, and stretching. But for patients whom that does not work, we have an increasing number of interventions, including pain pumps, 
or even ways to manipulate the nerves to the ones that are leading to pain are, um, are disconnected from the spinal cord. So even if the patients have disease-causing pain, your brain won't get those signals, and so it will not appear to hurt as much. And that, those are the interventions that we can do for helping patients who, who are suffering from those disease. But pain management is only one part of quality of life. The other ones are maintaining physical activity. And when patients are short of breath, that becomes increasingly hard. So one of the important aspects of mesothelioma is making sure fluid doesn't build up, or if it does, that we have ways to drain it. The common way is insertion of a tunneled catheter, which drains once a day or once every other day to remove fluid. It's a simple intervention, but actually can substantially increase patients' ability to breathe. So while I could talk to the different aspects of what we see with patients and how we can help make patients feel significantly better, the important aspect is to make sure to see your physician and physicians who are well-versed with these types of diseases, because we have multiple different ways of managing different symptoms, but we need to put it in the context of your overall treatment. And briefly, I want to touch on clinical trials. Recently, and I'm sure Dr. Candler will, admit, uh, will mention, there's a clinical trial called Checkmate 743, which showed that two drugs that are immunotherapy drugs, or known as immune checkpoint inhibitors, work better than chemotherapy in this trial. What we learned from that trial was that the combination of immunotherapy with two drugs was actually better than one, and it was a little better than chemo with some variations. But what we performed prior to this trial at our institution was a trial in which we administered two immunotherapy drugs before surgery and then removed all the disease after those drugs were given. We found that the patients received the drugs did very well, that, that it was not, did not increase any of the danger of surgery, and that the patients who were able to have the disease removed did at least as well as the patients we had treated with chemotherapy. So currently we're opening another trial in which we're administering immunotherapy with two drugs or immunotherapy with chemotherapy to determine if that will help in conjunction with surgery. So while these are just two options, these are two options that have grown out of recent data and recent trials showing that immunotherapy is an uh, important advancement in the um, treatment options that we have and patients have to manage this disease. So in summary, we've given you a lot of information, and the most important aspect of how to manage a, a certain patient or family member is the comprehensive evaluation of the patient to see what that person specifically needs. And so while we've talked about different, different aspects of care that may be relevant for an individual, it's not relevant for all, so it's very important to have a comprehensive evaluation by uh, a physician or a group of physicians who are well-versed in taking care of patients with this disease, given that it's relatively nuanced and relatively advanced and takes a high level of expertise to help make sure we make the best treatment recommendations for you. So that, and that is all I have to say for now, and I appreciate your time, Dr. Messner. I'll give it back to you. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Ripley. That was really outstanding as well, stellar presentation, and really, um, really explained to everyone more about the role of surgery and, and radiation and the treatment of mesothelioma and just really um, 
the information you gave is it was terrific, and I know it, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q and A. So thank you so much. And our next uh, speaker is Dr. Hetty Lee Kindler, and Dr. Kindler is professor of medicine, director of mesothelioma program, the University of Chicago Medicine. And Dr. Kindler will be addressing the role of chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and targeted treatments, managing side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, and follow-up care. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Kindler. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for uh, letting me chat with everyone today. Um, my name is Hedy Kindler, and I am a medical oncologist, which means I give systemic therapies such as chemotherapy, immunotherapy, and targeted treatment. And for many years, the only treatment that we could offer patients who were not getting surgery was chemotherapy. Chemotherapy are drugs that in meso generally are given by vein that target the DNA of dividing cells and um, work to shrink the tumor, help people feel better, and help them live longer. For many years, that was really the only treatment we had. The standard drugs are Olympta, also known as Pemetrexid, and either Cisplatin or Carboplatin. These are drugs that are given by vein every three weeks um, and um, are generally fairly well tolerated. They can cause lowering of the white cells that help the body to fight infection, red cells that carry energy and oxygen, and platelets that help the blood to clot. We give them with strong anti-nausea medicines, and fortunately, they do not cause you to lose your hair. Um, we also give them with um, vitamins, um, a multivitamin or folic acid, and a B12 shot. And for many years, this was the only treatment option that we had for mesothelioma patients. But due to many clinical trials, a new set of drugs called immunotherapy drugs or immune checkpoint inhibitors are now also a standard of care option. As Dr. Um, Ripley alluded to, the Checkmate 743 trial compared doublet immunotherapy with two drugs um, known as ipilimumab and nivolumab, or Opdivo and Yervoy, versus standard Olympta and platinum chemotherapy. And that showed that for many patients, the immunotherapy doublet was superior in terms of response and in terms of um, overall survival um, compared to standard chemotherapy. But when we're trying to make a decision about whether someone should get immune therapy or chemotherapy, we need to know more about the patient and about their tumor. So immunotherapy works by basically allowing your own body to attack the tumor. And when it does that, it kind of revs up your immune system. So patients with revved up immune systems, people with things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or myasthenia gravis might not be the ideal patient for immune therapy. Whereas patients who maybe their kidneys don't work so well, they might not be the optimal patient for a chemotherapy that has to travel through the kidney. Um, but the other key is really the subtype of the tumor. As Dr. Grala mentioned, mesothelioma comes in three subtypes, epithelial, sarcomatoid, or mixed, or as I like to tell my patients, chocolate, vanilla, and swirl. 
the epithelial or vanilla mesothelioma responds almost as well to immune therapy and chemotherapy. And there, the patient and physician should have a very nuanced discussion about whether for that patient, immunotherapy or chemotherapy is the best option. But for the mixed and, and sarcomatoid meso, the chocolate and uh, swirl meso, the uh, immunotherapy has a substantially better outcome, more than doubling survival in some patients and having sustained control of the disease in a much better fashion than chemotherapy. And so for those patients, in general, immune therapy is going to be the best option. But unlike chemotherapy, which has very predictable side effects, you know what day you might feel nausea or constipation or fatigue, with immune therapy, well, for most patients, the side effects are fewer, they're a little less predictable because just as the immune system is getting revved up to attack your tumor, it can also attack you. And so it, most of those are laboratory tests that your experienced physician is going to notice. They'll see that the thyroid function is low and give you thyroid medicine, or the adrenal function is low and give you adrenal medicine. But sometimes it can be things like you're having a lot of diarrhea and you actually have an inflamed colon, or you're much more short of breath and you have something called pneumonitis. And so when you're treated with immune therapy, it's essential that you communicate your symptoms with your doctor so that something subtle doesn't uh, blow into something much bigger when it could have been caught earlier. And so um, immune therapy is generally given for a period of about two years, where chemotherapy tends to be given for around four to six months. It's given every three, three weeks for up four to six Additional medication sometimes add into chemotherapy, and that's um, a drug called Avastin, also known as Bevacizumab, and that's a drug that targets the blood to feed the tumors, and that one can continue on after you've finished uh, the uh, two-drug chemotherapy, and you just take the Avastin by itself. That one can raise the blood pressure and sometimes increase the risk of bleeding or clotting. It's generally not given in older patients for that reason. And there's the, um, another option called targeted therapy. Targeted therapies are drugs that are targeted specifically to the biology of your tumor or to what we refer to as the molecular on-off switches. And for that, the doctor will take a sample of your tumor that's already been biopsied and send it for something called next-generation sequencing. Now, if you have non-small cell lung cancer, then it would be standard of care to get this type of testing. And then there are off-the-shelf drugs that are standard that would be targeted specifically to those molecular on-off switches. In mesothelioma, those are still experimental. But um, the most of those targets include uh, things like BAP1, NF2, CDKN2A, and others. And there are a number of ongoing clinical trials, several of which are quite exciting, many of which are pills. And so uh, clearly this is the wave of the future where we will be able to very specifically target the biology of your tumor. Now, both mesothelioma and any of these treatments can cause side effects. Patients can have symptoms from their disease, weight loss, fatigue, cough, shortness of breath, or from the tumor, 
uh, or from the, the treatment, uh, nausea, constipation, itching, uh, fatigue, etc. It's very important to be working very closely with your physician and if they are working with a symptom management specialist or a palliative care specialist, that can clearly help in helping to alleviate your symptoms. Your doctor has a full armamentarium of drugs that can help to relieve these symptoms. You have to work closely with them to try to alleviate them. And finally, in terms of telehealth, so Dr. Grala has already alluded to the use of telehealth during COVID-19. And many of our patients find it very useful, particularly when you're just checking in in between treatments to see how you're handling the symptoms and the side effects. But it's so important to, A, prepare for your visit, know the technology. If you're not very technical, have a friend or a family member help you so that you're able to get on during the visit so you don't spend half the visit trying to get on. And make sure you have a list of all of your concerns. I personally prefer the visual uh, telemedicine visit to the telephone simply because it's important for me to be able to look at the patient, understand their expression, and it really helps in figuring out how a patient is feeling. Um, but if uh, that cannot be done, then certainly a telephone is a reasonable substitute. And so with that, Carolyn, I'll hand the uh, podium back to you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kimmler, again. Just a wonderful presentation stellar and just providing so much information to our participants and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Ms. Shannon Sinclair and Ms. Sinclair is the Patient Service Director for Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation and she'll be discussing um, Mesothelioma Re Applied Research Foundation's free programs and services and give you information about how to contact them. And they are our partner organization on today's program, so it's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Sinclair. Hi, thank you, Dr. Mesner. I appreciate you guys having me on this call today. Um, as she said, I am Shannon Sinclair. I am a certified oncology nurse, and I am the new patient services director for the foundation. I've been with them since November when Mary retired. Um, we are the only 501 C3 nonprofit organization working to eradicate mesothelioma. We do have a lot of programs, um, free programs for patients, caregivers, as well as the bereaved community. Um, first of those is our virtual support groups. So we offer private monthly support group calls. Um, one is for patients. We have a couple for caregivers as well as a couple for the bereaved community. And we just launched in May um, our first professionally facilitated group, um, and that will meet also monthly, uh, usually at the end of the month, and that's for patients as of right now, but we are hoping to expand it um, to the caregivers and the bereaved as well for the future. We also have Facebook support groups, and those have been growing exponentially. Uh, we have five of those. One is for um, the entire mesothelioma community, so anybody touched by it, um, and then we have one that is especially for the patients themselves. We have a caregiver's one and also a bereaved one. We also have Meso TV, um, and this is an online series that we have where we discuss different um, topics such as treatments, um, surgeries, um, uh, nutrition, many things that are of interest to patients, families, as well as the bereaved community. 
We also have me. Um, I am the mesothelioma, um, sort of the medical liaison expert. Um, I'm here for any sort of medical guidance, treatment information to help patients um, sort through side effects, getting a, a second opinion, um, an expert referral and such, um, as well as just kind of helping throughout the journey if they need um, a shoulder to lean on or somebody to talk through. We also have a patient travel grant program, and this is probably one of our um, biggest programs that we're really trying to promote uh, that a lot of people don't know about. And um, this is for anybody who is looking for that um, expert opinion. And so we offer money to help with travel-related expenses for that, as well as if after that you enroll in a clinical trial, um, we also offer uh, monetary help to get you back and forth to to that as well. Um, I will give you our main line is 703-879-3824. And then my, um, my line is 703-879-3821. You can also find all of our um, information at uh, the curemiso.org website. And I did also just kind of want to tell everybody, uh, we do have a symposium coming up. It's the International Symposium on Malignant Mesothelioma. It is scheduled for July 22nd and 23rd in Chicago. I welcome you all to join us. Um, there is a section on our website uh, that gives all the information, how to sign up for it. Um, it will be offered virtually um, and also inpatient, so whatever you are most comfortable with. Uh, with the COVID pandemic, um, but please um, look that over and sign up for it. There's going to be wonderful information. Dr. Kindler is the head of that for us this year, and we can't wait. We're so excited to collaborate with her. Thank you so much, Ms. Sinclair. That's wonderful. Your program sounds terrific. You have so many resources for people, and also you are the go-to organization for people with mesothelioma, so please, everybody, take note of this, and you will all actually be receiving a survey monkey after today's, probably tomorrow, after today's program, and um, in that, there'll be an evaluation of the program, but also we'll be giving you all the resources, websites, phone numbers that we mentioned during the program as well. So thank you so much. Um, and I know there'll be questions for you as well, Ms. Sinclair, during the Q&A. And um, so many people contact Cancer Care by calling our Hope Line, 800-813-4673, or visiting our website at www.cancercare.org. And I'd like to go over with you our services. So when people call our Hope Line, they get to speak with um, an oncology social worker right away. So our primary staff are oncology social workers and usually present their question and then um, the social worker then asks if they'd like to hear about all, and the social worker addresses their question, but then moves on to letting them know what the other services are. And I'd like to stress one of the services that we now have that um, I don't know if any of you are aware of it. We do have a special program right now. We offer, of course, practical financial and co-payment assistance, and we do have a special financial assistance program for people with mesothelioma who need help with transportation or lodging. It's a generous grant, and so please do contact us for that uh, grant. Um, that's something that would be, I think, very useful to many of you. Um, we also offer online support groups. Um, we have um, about we offer about 75 workshops per year. Um, we have a pet assistance program for those of you who may have a cat or a dog who perhaps you need someone 
just don't have anyone to help walk walk the dog or, or change the litter box and, and you aren't able to do it and also help with the cost of food. Um, and we also do a num offer a number of publications and fact sheets. And in addition to that, um, we do offer online support groups and we do have a case management team. So if we don't have the resource you need, they will virtually figure out where to get that help. And many of you need help with food insecurity, cost of food, or mortgage or rent and things like that. They will work with you until that problem is resolved. And so now um, I'd like to move on to the questions and answers and bring all of our speakers on board. I'm going to ask um, Jennifer to bring all of our speakers on board. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Um, so Jennifer, could you let the audience know how to queue up for questions? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone phone. If your question has already been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press star then 2. Please identify yourself by first name and last initial only. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Well, thank you. And I um, see we have some, a number of questions from our online participants, so I'm going to, um, so I'm going to start with a question for um, Dr. Um, Dr. Ripley. My doctor said that surgery won't remove all of the cancer. Can they combine surgery with other treatments? If you could address that, Dr. Ripley. Yes, there's two ways. Well, first, what does it mean to remove all of the cancer? In a cancer operation, our goal is to remove the tumor surrounding area, what we call a margin of normal tissue to make sure there's no edge left. The margin in the chest is not feasible because of critical structures like the heart or the main, main blood vessel called the aorta, the chest wall, things that can't be removed. So the tumor is removed to the edge of the tumor without uh, other tumor. And that's whether that means it's all removed or not is debatable. What we would call it is removal of all gross and visible disease. So should it be combined with other therapies? There's two ways to answer that. One is it should be combined with therapy either before or after surgery. And historically, it was chemotherapy. That may be involving immunotherapy as we move forward as well. But I would recommend that patients who do have surgery also receive systemic therapy uh, in conjunction with surgery. And then the next aspect of the question I think you're asking is should uh, other treatments be administered within the chest during surgery after removal of the disease. Historically, uh, chemotherapy was placed in the chest. It's called high-oxygen-heated uh, intrapural chemotherapy. And uh, other options have been performed, such as photodynamic therapy. And then recently, one was published out of Europe in which betadine, which is an iodine solution, was placed in the chest. The iodine solution appeared to have the same long-term outcomes as chemotherapy, but has substantially less side effects. And so there are options to treat in conjunction with surgery, both at the time of the operation, as well as either before or after the operation. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, and a question for Dr. Gala. If someone I live with works with asbestos, can I get mesothelioma? Uh, well, 
any exposure to asbestos can be dangerous. Sometimes uh, um, people who work very much with asbestos, like people who had been previously involved with mining, uh, would bring it home on their clothing and uh, the rest. But that's much less common these days. So uh, I would say that, yes, there could be some risk, but uh, we're all, we've all been exposed to asbestos to some degree or another. Uh, but uh, um, there could be some risk, but um, depending on the strength of that, uh, of that person that you live with, how, how very much they're exposed, that would um, sort of describe the, the, the risk to some degree. Again, we've all been exposed to asbestos to greater or lesser degrees, yet very few people are troubled with it. I think if you have any question, then uh, you should ask your own personal physician. If it's a very minor exposure, I think the risk is quite small. Excellent. For Dr. Kindler, what are some good resources to find clinical trials? Sure. So there is uh, clinicaltrials.gov which is the uh, sort of a national search engine uh, that can help you identify clinical trials. It can kind of be a little bit clunky. Uh, the other resource is, for example, to contact the Meso Foundation or Cancer Care, who can help patients identify some of the major uh, mesothelioma centers around the country. And uh, those would be the places who would be most likely to have clinical trials. And another option is simply to uh, uh, along your journey in terms of your care to seek out a mesothelioma specialist regardless of, of where they are and they should be able to help you navigate that and identify clinical trials that may be available to you closer to your home. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And um, for Ms. Sinclair, how does mesothelioma affect veterans? Well, um, I mean, it certainly can. We have seen that um, depending on, you know, we know that a lot of people who worked in the shipyards, um, so certainly if you were um, in the Navy or um, some sort of uh, veteran that came into contact with that sort of work, um, you know, definitely um, the asbestos exposure was there. Um, you know, as far as being treated, I'm not sure if that's what they're referring to as as far as being treated, like if they have VA uh, benefits and such, um, you know, that would be something that we would have to sort of navigate and try to get them to an expert to get them, um, you know, the opinion and the treatment that they needed to have um, as far as either, you know, surgery or chemotherapy, immunotherapy, um, clinical trials, but certainly, um, a lot of those will allow you to do that. We just have to jump through some hoops sometimes um, with the certain insurances um, that cover the veterans. Excellent. And another question to you. Um, um, because mesothelioma is so rare, are there support groups for mesothelioma I can join? And I know you discussed that earlier, but if you want to go over that again, that would be great. For yeah, me. yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, depending on kind of what you're looking for, uh, we do have the Facebook groups. Um, and so those are, you know, global. Um, we, do, we have many people from, um, that are over in Europe that are in our Facebook groups, as well as uh, Canada, um, 
Puerto Rico. Uh, we have so many people all over that are in there. Um, but we do have one that is a patients-only group. Uh, we have two caregiver groups, and we have a bereaved group. Um, and then we also have monthly call-in groups. Um, several of them are done over Zoom, um, and then a couple of them are done just uh, telephonic. Um, but you can do the Zoom telephonic as well if you're not as savvy on the computer. Um, but we have one that is just for patients. We have a caregiver's uh, call-in group. And then we have two bereaved groups. So we have one um, that is for uh, the older bereaved, and then we have one that's for the young widow and widowers as well. And then we also just implemented the professionally facilitated um, support group, which is done over Zoom, also on a monthly basis. And right now, um, we are aiming that mostly towards patients. Um, in the future, we hope to open that up um, more to the caregivers and the bereaved as well. Excellent. Thank you. And for Dr. Kindler, my doctor recommended HIPAC as my treatment option. What is the difference between HIPAC and chemotherapy? So HIPAC is hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy. And so that is given at the time of surgery. Um, when one has a, a peritoneal or the abdominal mesothelioma, you kind of think about the tumors as kind of like Parmesan cheese on spaghetti that the surgeon is trying to remove every little piece and then kind of peeling off the wallpaper off of the wall to try to get more of the tumor off. There's always going to be a little bit of it left behind. So the HIPEC or hot chemo goes into the belly during the surgery and just goes a few more millimeters deeper and tries to kill off any remaining cancer cells that might be left behind. It is standard of care in a peritoneal mesosurgery um, in most patients. It also very nicely helps to um, get rid of, in most patients, the ascites fluid that often is in the belly in peritoneal meso patients. So if your physician has recommended it and your surgeon feels it is appropriate, then in general that is what's done as part of the surgery. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Ripley, um, a general question, um, what is the recovery like for surgery? If you could answer that in a general way. Yeah. It when we have surgery where we remove the whole lung or remove the lining, we send the patients to the ICU in which they spend three to seven days. But while they're in the ICU, our main focus is on uh, physiologic recovery, which means breathing on your own, up and walking, um, doing physical therapy. We have physical therapists or what we call exercise physiologists who study how the body moves, who help our patients after this operation have to walk around within a day or two of surgery. The uh, other way to look at lung recovery is your lung is like an accordion. When you stand up, the abdomen will drop. There's more space. More space allows patients to cough up the junk that collects in them and allows them to avoid pneumonia. It's similar to thinking why opera singers never sing while they lie down. They stand up, so there's more air, and they can project harder. And that recovery is strongly related to physical activity and working, even from the, the first day after surgery. Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, and we have... Um one additional question for Dr. Grala. Is smoking related 
in linked to mesothelioma? Well, uh, smoking is really not so related to mesothelioma. Again, asbestos uh, exposure is number one. However, for people who have been exposed to asbestos, smoking then becomes a promoter, not the cause, but promotes malignancy and uh, often is associated with a very high risk, smoking plus asbestos, of adenocarcinoma of the lung. So smoking is not a good thing, but it is, uh, and it is more related in asbestos exposure to lung cancer, but it is asbestos itself that is related to mesothelioma. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I want to thank our speakers. Um, you've really been excellent, and I want to thank all of our participants as well because they've asked such great questions. And although we've done this program before, I think the questions today were so much, um, again, each program, the questions and the interplay between the physicians and the participants becomes even more terrific. So I want to thank all of you. Um, and I do want to acknowledge that we do have a number of additional questions in queue um, and that um, we had said this would be a one-hour program. So I do want to go over with all of you um, what happens, um, what about you with you, your questions. So for those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question that you'd like to ask if you're in queue and haven't had a chance to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of a question, we recommend that you go back to treating healthcare team with, in all of these instances. Um, and with what you've learned from today's program, ask your physician, your treating team, who know you the best, of course, have your records and everything, ask them the questions that you asked today or that you'd like to ask, and ask them over and over again until you get the answers that you need. Um, we also will be sending you a survey monkey evaluation after today's program, and um, actually we'll get it tomorrow. And in that evaluation, we will be providing um, not just the evaluation, but also any of the links that we mentioned or phone numbers um, for clinical trials, for any resources we've given will be listed for you as a resource as well. Um, so I also want to acknowledge that um, um, we don't want anyone to leave this program feeling that you're alone. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support, which includes the mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, Cancer Care, and of course your healthcare team. We never want to um, sidestep your healthcare team because they actually include many different disciplines. Your um, oncologist, your surgeon, um, your um, oncology nurse, oncology social worker, patient navigator, financial navigator. There are a lot of different people on that team to help you. And again, I just want to stress at the very end that we do have um, a special program at Cancer Care. It's a financial assistance program for people who have mesothelioma currently getting treatment and who um, require assistance with either transportation or lodging. Um, so do contact Cancer Care if um, that's a need that you have so that we can process your help and get you that assistance that you need. Um, so. I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.